Well, hello, listeners. It's Anthony Wilson uh, back again with another episode. Just prior to you listening to and enjoying this episode, I just wanted to touch on a few points. Uh, the interview is with Alex Sidorenko. So uh, Alex calls himself and, and probably referred to by a lot of people as the most controversial person in, in risk management. So he uh, attracts a lot of followers. He's got his YouTube channel um, and uh, you know publishes a lot on LinkedIn and those sort of platforms. Uh, he does have some uh, interesting ideas and he's very forthright in those ideas. So uh, just so you know, uh, he will challenge the traditional risk management model. He refers to that as RM1 and, uh, you know, is very much of the camp that risk management should all be uh, should always be about quantification. So, you know, at ABM Risk Partnership, we're not necessarily endorsing all of Alex's ideas. We certainly do agree quantification absolutely has a part in risk management. We are probably of the view of taking a more middle ground that there is, is some elements of RM1 that are very useful, particularly for organisations starting off. And there are elements of RM2 that you do have to employ. You do have to quantify risk and help make better decisions. So, you know, the idea of this program is to hear diverse opinions and experiences in the management of risk. So it was great to hear from Alex and for him to make some time for us. So sit back, enjoy, um, and give us any feedback you'd like on this particular episode. Enjoy. Cheers. Well, welcome back to the Mastering a Risk Management podcast, everybody. I'm Anthony Wilson, and as is always our want, uh, we get very interesting guests on the program. And today's guest is, like many of them lately, from the other side of the world. So um, I think you're going to enjoy uh, the chat we have today because our guest is Alex Sidorenko. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about Alex before we say good day to him. So Alex is an experienced executive across strategic investment and operational risks and insurance, and he works with multi-billion dollar corporations. Uh, he's done that in Australia, across the Gulf Cooperation Council and in Europe. He's successfully implemented changes to quantitative risk analysis, risk-based decision-making and neuroscience. Uh, over the course of his journey, he's saved more than $13 million per year in premiums on cargo, property damage and VI insurance uh, through industry-leading quantitative risk analysis uh, without changing deductibles or limits while working as head of risk at Eurochem, one of the largest fertiliser companies in the world. He successfully presented a corporate risk profile to the Ministry of Finance and helped secure more than $1 billion in extra funding. That's quite an achievement. Uh, he's the author of the most popular free risk management book in the world, with more than 200,000 downloads in three different languages. Uh, he's been named Risk Manager of the Year in 2021 by Firma. Uh, he received an honourable mention in 2021 uh, at RIMS. Uh, he's been named the Risk Manager of the Year at Russ Risk uh, 2014. Also achieved the best ERM implementation at Russ Risk in 2014. Best Risk Management Training, Russ Risk 2013, 14, 15. And finalist in the Risk Management Awards in 2018 and 2019. So quite a hell of a lot of an accomplishment there. So Alex, welcome to the program. Thanks, Anthony. And um Thank you to your listeners and hello. No problems. That felt like reading out the Academy Awards of Risk Management then. But, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. You've got yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'd, uh, I, I like to think of myself in uh, simpler terms. You know, during the day, I'm just a normal you know, head of risk for large companies. And the last company that I worked uh, for, I, I, I did a, small, a quick comparison 
if the company wasn't um, Swiss, but was in fact Australian, it would have been the fourth biggest company in Australia. Wow. Um, wow. In terms of uh, revenue. Wow. Uh, so quite, quite, quite a big organization. So during the day, I'm a head of risk at you know, large corporations. And during the night, I uh, post on my Risk Academy blog, which is quite popular, or my Risk Academy YouTube channel, um, or host the annual Risk Awareness Week, which um, kind of became this one of the biggest online global risk conferences with about 5,000 participants every year from like 120 countries. Um, yep. So two hats, and uh, we'll, we'll see if we can juggle the hats uh, on the podcast today. So a man of mystery. Uh, by day, he uh, he works as a as a everyday risk manager. By night, he's a uh, a risk. Uh, well, and and I've followed your career for a while, Alex, and watched your videos. And and I think um, one of the monikers that's often attached to you is the most controversial person in risk management. Um, and and I think. Uh, that's probably well-earned, but well-earned for a good reason because you want to challenge the norms and you want to think a little differently about risk. But we'll explore that maybe in a little bit of uh, a bit of time. But maybe firstly, just tell us how you got into the risk gig. How did, how did risk feature on the radar? You finished school, you're thinking about what the career was going to be. Yeah, yeah. How did you end up where you ended up? It's a, it's a nice origin story. I finished school... Uh, and I think just like most kids on the planet, I had no idea what I wanted to do, nor did I really care. I I was good at math, chemistry, biology, got reasonable marks to get into one of the best universities in Melbourne. And my dad was doing his PhD in chemical engineering at the time at Monash, and he was clearly more concerned than I was because he was browsing for courses. And he goes, oh, there's this new faculty and the new program called Risk Management. Uh, and I said, sure, why not? It, it, sounded, it sounded fun enough. And it was hilarious because when we came to the first class of the first, uh, f- first year, first risk management class, um, nobody showed up. No professor showed up because the faculty, it was so new that we were literally the guinea pigs oh, really? of the undergraduate degrees in, in risk management in Australia. Wow. And uh, for the first, I think, couple of weeks, so we kept going to like marketing and management and accounting and statistical classes because they had different faculties. But the risk management class, we would always rock up, wait for 15 minutes, and then Happy would go home. And then somebody complained and said, well, where are our professors? So the faculty realized that they have got this new course to run. And um, um, yeah, it kind of started from there. But I think the, the, the most fascinating thing was as soon as I got my diploma, diploma in risk management, which was, I think, the first undergraduate Diploma in risk management in Australia ever because before they had postgraduate degrees. Yeah, and a uh, few years after the faculty actually cancelled the program, so we were literally the guinea pigs in the failed experiment because the faculty didn't feel like risk management was a profession. Wow. It, it, it didn't have enough demand at the time, and uh, so yeah, I became the one of the first kind of qualified risk managers um, in the field. So I joined some, I joined a, a large consulting company in their enterprise risk services department where I realized that I was one of maybe three people out of 150 
that were actual risk managers and the rest were just internal auditors or IT yeah. auditors or yeah. fraud specialists. And uh, so it was it was an interesting career beginning because I, you know, I, I kind of, I jumped into this pool yep. only to realize that there was no pool and it, <laughs> it was, it wasn't a thing, uh, but it, yep. you know, luckily while at university, because I did some, I did good at, at uh, statistical classes, they kept sending me letters saying, right. please do a second degree in statistics, you know, please do a second degree, second major in statistics. And after they sent me the letter for the second letter, second year, I, I went like, okay, I'll do. So I've got two degrees in one in risk management and the other one in statistics. And um, that, that kind of, that helped a lot in the yeah. future risk management career. Yeah. That's funny, Alex. Um, uh, not a lot has changed, I don't think, and, and I don't mean to sound overly critical of, of big fours, but, you know, I don't think a lot's changed that, the people that are doing the risk management in some of the big four firms, um, you know, are auditors, right? Or, you know, they've done some other sort of discipline and they sort of get thrown into the risk management management well, role. Well, I think as we discovered over the years, and, you know, I call it risk management one and risk management two, and we can kind of deep dive into that at some stage later. Um, I think what we've discovered over the years that whatever they're doing is not risk management to begin with. Yeah, yeah. So, Alex, uh, into the consulting firm, how long was that? What prompted you to move from that? Because obviously you did eventually, but what sort of brought the next career phase? I think it was just more kind of just random coincidence. I, I stayed in consulting for five years at one company and then another, I think, couple of years at another company. And then somebody just had hunted me into kind of a risk role, in-house risk role. And it was... It was an amazing experience because just before leaving the consulting world, I was one of the co-authors of the global PwC risk methodology. So I was part of the kind of team that met in Europe and we wrote the global PwC methodology. And then I went around European PwC offices teaching other PwC employees to sell risk management um, uh, to clients. So I had this book that we essentially wrote this guideline, like humanity, it was, it was huge, you know, huge, hundreds and hundreds of pages on what risk management should look like. And when I joined the first in-house role ever, and it was one of the biggest government uh, venture capital firms, government-funded uh, venture capital, like you know, Silicon Valley analog in Europe. And uh, once I joined them and I started literally implementing by the book. So I already had the book. You know, I, I thought I had the secret to what risk management should look like. And I started implementing by the book and failed miserably. Right. Uh, just I failed at every turn. Everything that we wrote in good faith uh, as consultants was absolute rubbish. Right. It was just nonsense from beginning to end. Uh, had no relation to real life made no positive impact on decision-making or quality of um, business or improved performance for that matter. It was just all window dressing, facade. Uh, so, so that was such a turning point in my career because when I failed miserably, I'm going like, something's not right. Like or, or everything we've believed risk management to be isn't right because I, I tried this and I tried that. I tried running workshops this way. I tried, you know, doing heat maps backwards and forwards. I, I've tried all the different things within the parameters of what I now call risk management one. 
and it consistently failed time after time. So this was kind of this was the big revolution. I, I, I just kind of sat down and started thinking, well, if, if it's not that, then what is risk management? And that led me to, uh, to a discovery of this whole other world of risk management, which is actually 500 years old and has a lot of research, published research on what has been tested and actually works significantly better than what we thought was risk management. Um, so that was that was a really big turning point, and I kind of I never looked I never looked back uh, in all of my next um, in-house risk roles. I did something literally the opposite of what we once wrote as the best practice for consulting. So it must have been quite a, a shock at the time to to have sort of gone into that that first in-house role, the first roll up the sleeve and get the hands dirty type role and find out that it, that it wasn't uh, what, what you thought it was. It, it was very, not rewarding, but very, very, very it, it was a very nice feeling because at the time I had hints, for example, like reading Taleb's first book, uh, Fooled by Randomness where he openly criticizes risk management. And I'm going, okay, well, like, this is, like, it's it's an alarm bell. And then reading Hubbard's first book on risk management, um, and that's that's back in two, 2009, uh, reading Hubbard's first book, which is basically why risk management has failed and how to fix it. Uh, like, that was a big alarm clock uh, going on, going like, something's not right, something's not right. And, and then I think the kind of the positive spin on all of this is, I very quickly, through LinkedIn and through my global you know, connections or my desire to connect with people globally, I very quickly found the crowd, which was not the risk management crowd, because the risk management crowd, like I, that's why I created my own risk management conference, which became one of the biggest in the world, because I hated going to risk management conferences. Uh, because the risk management crowd, they kept cooking into in this pot of... Um, um, window dressing and uh, failed fa- failed practices. But then I discovered a new crowd, which was all quants, scientists, you know, NASA engineers, people who actually build bridges, uh, doctors, people that use proper risk analysis in their day-to-day uh, lives to save lives, to save millions of dollars, who actually apply risk management to something meaningful, uh, most of them worked with military contractors, so they, they they had a lot of case studies on of positive application of quantitative risk analysis. Uh, and as soon as I discovered that group, I realized that I wasn't crazy because there was like this sm- small moment in life where you're going, "Am I crazy?" Because everybody's saying risk management is you know do a framework, run workshops, prepare risk reports. ISO thirty one thousand is a thing, or COSO ERM is a thing. None of those are, 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 are true. And um, and everybody's kind of repeating that. And you're going, well, I disagree with every single thing they say, but am I the crazy one? And then once you discover the other crowd, you realize that, no, the science is on our side. Fair enough. So after that um, that role um, and that one not working, what happened then? So uh, did you walk away from that role? Yeah, no, that was the that was I think the the, the last uh, the last straw. No, I was fired from that role. That was right. the only time I was fired in my life, um, right. and um, I was fired for uh, for different reasons. Like the the new boss wanted to bring in somebody he knew from the previous job, um, but then I had an opportunity 
to put together a business case, not in front of my boss, but in front of my boss's boss. And I had this opportunity to justify risk management. And I've spent weeks building a business case for this version of risk management, which was called best practice in the consulting world, what I call risk management one. And I thought I did the best business case I possibly could. And that business case did not resonate with the CEO or the CFO or, or the board. And, and so I, I, I tried selling it, but it wasn't sellable. And, and you know, to me, it was like, am I a bad salesman? I didn't think so. Um, are they stupid and they don't understand what I'm trying to sell them? No, that wasn't the case because they were clearly very, um, very successful senior executives. Um, was it maybe the message? Maybe was it maybe that I was selling the wrong message? And I discovered that I was selling the wrong message. This this whole best practice just did not resonate with the actual decision makers. And so I was fired from that role and started looking for another job. And I joined uh, one of the biggest high-tech private equity, again, government-based uh, private equity firms. And uh, it's like a sovereign fund um, in, in the European country. And... Uh, there, I made a promise to myself, never shall I repeat again the mistakes I've made. So I did everything by the book, except with the, with the minus sign. So the opposite of what was in the best practices book. And uh, that earned me risk manager of the year, best ERM implementation, and three, uh, three awards for the best risk management training back in 2014. Um, and also allowed to secure extra government funding, um, you know, save solar generation industry by changing the legislation based on the back of our quantitative risk analysis and just generally kind of reconfirmed that there is this whole other world of risk management, which I call risk management, uh, risk management too. And then it kind of from there, it just uh, started in in-house roles, always sticking to what I believe is the value option of risk management, which is you know, using quantitative risk analysis to support different business decisions, to integrate into processes and um, optimize how business measures performance or set goals through the kind of the, this lens of, uh, of risk. Yeah, no, that's good. So in uh, maybe the firm we mentioned in your, your intro was uh, Eurochem. How does it look, Alex, when you first walk in the door? So you're appointed... You're anointed chief risk officer. What happens? Uh, well, so so the the, the first the, the appointment is always um, is always fun because I, I remember having Eurocam specifically. I had a conversation with the CFO, and I I do my kind of usual message. You know, there's risk management one, which is uh, window dressing for external parties, um, just you know a nice wrapping, um, a pretty picture. Uh, but no substance. And then there's risk management too, which requires us to change how insurance is purchased, how investment decisions are done, how budgets are calculated, how performance is calculated, how you know vendor accredit accreditation is done, how contracts are um, assigned to different vendors or how credit risk or market risks are, are, are calculated. And so the CFO goes, uh, well, come come in and try and see see what you can change. Um, but once you kind of once you come in, the the rollout starts with a few important realizations. First of all, there's 
unlike what we are made to believe in the um, in the consulting best practice world, there's no such thing as a single risk management framework. There's no like ERM is not a thing in my world, and you know this could be surprising to your listeners, but in my world. ERM does not exist. It's not a thing. It's, it's, it's a made-up fairy tale by consultants to sell more stuff. So in my world, there are dozens of different risk management applications in specific processes. Whatever procurement does to invite good vendors and not invite bad vendors to accredit new vendors, that's a form of risk management. Whatever the commercial does to quantify their credit risk exposure. That's a form of risk management. Whatever commercial and treasury do to minimize the market risk exposure, that's another form of risk management. Um, Whatever uh, investment projects do to calculate scenarios and NPVs and IRRs, that's another form of risk management. And and there are dozens forms of, uh, of risk management within the organization. So when I come in into an organization, I start looking for the pockets of risk management that already exist. And most of them can be significantly improved with just basic tweaks. For example, investment projects, it's always an easy one because it's usually like multi-million dollar investments or in our case, multi-billion dollar investments. And uh, somebody along the process usually does some sensitivity analysis or scenario analysis. They, They apply whatever is best practice in corporate finance. Now, the problem with that is that the corporate finance theory has been evolving without really risks in mind. So there's this whole industry of corporate finance, which evolved disconnected from the industry called risk management, from the the science called risk, uh, risk management. So we can actually apply our risk management techniques, you know, run simulations or improve on their scenarios. We can significantly improve with the very minor tweaks on what they have been doing all their lives. And some people resisted. Some people immediately realized how superior in every conceivable way this kind of risk-adjusted approach to uh, investment analysis is. Uh, and uh, the same on, on um, uh, other uh, other processes. It's a matter of, when you come in into an organization, it's a matter of identifying what are the kind of 10 different pockets of risk management that exist within the organization, and then picking couple that are a good starting point to kind of apply the, you know, sprinkle this risk management, quantitative risk management magic on top uh, to make it better. Uh, and uh, it's always driven by kind of two factors. Either your boss tells you he doesn't like the way the process currently runs, he doesn't, he's concerned about it, uh, or it's a material process. So for example, with investments, it was easy. You know, we had a $10 billion portfolio of investments, Huge risk, so that was kind of our area of focus, number one. And then uh, insurance was the second one, even though it was only, I don't know, like 50 million, so insignificant in the big scheme of things, CFO specifically said, I don't like what's going on there, make it risk-based, see if you can improve uh, improve that. And and that's exactly what we did. We actually reduced the cost of insurance by 40%, which um, turns out to be you know, more than $10 million. And that's not even across like the whole career. That's just one year. Yeah. We, we literally 
saved millions of dollars without sacrificing the quality of coverage. We actually improved the quality of coverage every single time. Uh, so with, with no sacrifices, we reduced the cost by um, more than 10 million. That literally paid for the whole risk management team salaries and bonuses for, like, for the next 10 years, yeah. which in my mind is the only way you can do risk management because if it doesn't save you millions of dollars, like what's the point of doing um, risk analysis because it, it, it's actually, you know, it's actually pretty hard. They, it, it's, it doesn't, it takes effort, it takes competencies. I had to build a team uh, to, to do it. Uh, so when I answering your coming back to your, uh, to your question, when I come in, I find the pockets of risk management and then I find the couple of pockets that the management wants me to focus on uh, for the first, um, you know, for the first year. And I've actually had this conversation with the board once. Um, I said, there's a fork in the road. We can do ERM style where it's basically every risk, but no deep diving and uh, just kind of artificial high level. We'll, we'll have something on paper, but we won't really fix any of the underlying uh, underlying problems. Or we just take a couple of risks, a couple of processes, a couple of decisions, and we really, really deep dive and fundamentally change how they uh, operate. And every single time the board responded saying, what, you know, one at a time, deep dive, fix it, and, and then move on to the next one. And, and so we kind of, we, that's, that's what I was doing in my career, taking one process, fixing it, moving on to the next process, fixing it, moving on to the third process, you know, fixing yeah. it. No, that's great. Thank you. Um, Alex, you mentioned the team. What what sort of team or what does your team look like in terms of skill sets when you build uh, a team around you in an organization? I had m- maybe eight people or six people. Right. And um, they they were divided into kind of into two groups. I had the insurance cr- crew and the, and the risk crew. And... Um, with the insurance, uh, it was um, just experts with insurance, but open-minded enough because uh, they had to forget every best practice they knew while doing insurance at other organizations. That's 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 the thing about integrating risk management. It challenges like every single hypothesis that is common in the in the industry because most of the things that we believe. Uh, are the best practice actually completely false. And we've disproven most of the hypothesis, like anything you can think of, like we in insurance placing uh, a broker, basically whatever the broker would tell us, we would test it and it actually turns out to be false. And then we would do something opposite. Uh, so I had the insurance, part, part of the team was insurance. But then in my risk team, everyone was a quant, except one person uh, who was a psychology a behavioral economics expert. So it was kind of, a, it was a combination of you're either a math genius or you understand how human behavior works and how human brain works and how humans make decisions under uh, under uncertainty. And uh, most of us have to understand the decision science and how the business operates. Um, so it was, uh, I, I felt and uh, I still stay in touch with my with my with my previous team. I, I felt it was an amazing, an amazing team, uh, but very quant heavy, and um, a kind of quant heavy in a balanced way. I did like I, I I had one math genius who is incapable of communicating, and uh, like like one of those you know math geniuses that sit in the in the basement of Pentagon and just you know, can calculate anything. 
um, but cannot explain anything to anyone. Um, so I did have one of those, but most of the other people were maybe less of a math genius, but better communicators, but still, still, still very, very strong ones. Yeah. I, I had a data scientist in my team and that was exactly the same problem. I uh, seldom let him out of the cage, as it were, because uh, he'd just go and upset everybody, but was brilliant <laughs> yes. at what he yeah. needed to do, which was was get data and, and analyse data, which was uh, which was great. Now, that's, that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And, and interestingly, that behavioural resource, this is the neuroscience angle you mentioned uh, yes. in the earlier that you understood or you get a better lens on on the human decision making elements yeah well the, the, there are there are four components to the kind of to the risk team uh, there's the probability theory which is math the decision science which is kind of well actually the probability theory which is math this um, uh, risk psychology or behavioral economics or neuroscience uh, which is the kind of the human angle of the decision-making risk. And then there's decision science, which is kind of bringing the first two together. It's the probability plus uh, neuroscience comes together in the decision science. And then the final is just understanding how the business works, you know, how you know, chemicals are processed, how mines work, and you know, which was relevant for our business. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you for sharing that, Alex. That's that's fantastic. Uh, now, one of the things, and and I do want to let the listeners know, particularly our Australian listeners, about a a, a very pleasant uh, event that's going to happen in relation to Alex later on. But before we do that, Alex, you you mentioned um, interacting with the boards, and and one of the things I think uh, you offer as part of your uh, range of services in your when you haven't got your Superman suit on and you're doing your Batman suit, um, yeah. is you offer a range of things. And one of them is around helping directors understand their board role. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, sh- sure. We um, we just published a, a an online course with DCRO Institute in US, uh, specifically targeted at board members and directors, but I think it's equally applicable to risk professionals. We call it advanced risk governance, uh, which I don't think is very meaningful, but we needed some snappy name. But the general idea is sooner or later in every risk professional's career and the same in every board member's career, sooner or later there, there comes a realization that once you've done the risk reports, once you kind of done your risk appetite statements, once you um, done the risk workshops and you collected the risks together and you do, done the done the risk register and you have a risk policy or a framework document, once you've done all of that, sooner or later there comes a realization that nothing happens. So you've done you've got you've got all the artifacts, but nothing fundamentally changes. Decisions continue to be made the way they were always made including some bad decisions, some bad choices. Uh, risks are not really openly discussed or considered, or even if they are considered, it's usually very artificial and kind of high level. Uh, so there comes this realization that we've done risk management, you know, tick, 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 we've got all the things, but it just does not make a difference. It's not making enough difference because, you know, this is my experience. When you apply what I call risk management too, the you know, quantitative you know, risk management, the science of risk to decision-making, the decisions change fundamentally. Like we completely changed how vendors are accredited. We completely changed how commercials sell. We completely changed 
how investment projects are prepared. We completely changed how insurance is purchased. Like the, the changes are so dramatic that it is blindly obvious that risk has an impact. And uh, in people's careers that uh, are continue doing risk management one, they don't have that feeling. They're just like, well, we've done that, but nothing really fundamentally changes. And so we've, we've published this course, which says, uh, which is basically designed for people, now that you've done everything by the book, and you don't see the amazing results, like if you're not amazed by the time you finished with everything by the book, then that probably means that the book is not the right book. And so once you finished with all the typical exercises, do you want to discover something else? Like what, what, what's the alternative to traditional risk management? Yeah. And th- this, this course is giving case studies, examples, the, the kind of the science, the theory, the practical applications, explanations, like deep dives into specific concepts that are particularly important for the board members to understand. Um, for example, you know, how risk is not a color, risk is not a number, uh, risk is not a, a level, um, you know, risk is not five or red or, or very high. Uh, risk is a distribution and that understanding the nature of that distribution of that risk profile and what you can do with expected losses, unexpected losses and the tail, the, these, are, these are kind of you know, fundamental basic skills that anyone in the risk profession must have to start generating you know, millions and millions of dollars in uh, in value. Uh, so we've we've got this program which I'm um, I'm very proud of that is specifically designed for people. Kind of well, what's the alternative? We've tried something, and we've got some res- like we've, we've got some results. Um, you know, auditors are happy, and uh, the board probably doesn't mind having this annual conversation about risks and. Uh, they are probably okay with seeing some risk reports, but what's the alternative? What's the kind of what's the better, more impactful alternative? And this is what this uh, course is all about. Mm. Okay, that's that's good. That's uh, DCRO. You said in in the US, uh, and a lot of the listeners, Alex, to the program are uh, US based. So uh, hopefully that resonates. But I, I presume it's uh, online. Anyone can do it from anywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. No, that's great. Well, thank you for filling us in on that. And listeners, I will put a link. Um, to that program for uh, Alex in the show notes, along with Alex's um, contact details as well. So um, uh, if you've ever been on YouTube and just type in Alex, I'm sure you'll find him quickly enough. Um, and uh, on LinkedIn, he's a, he's a prolific publisher. Um, Alex, before I let you go, I just wanted to ask you now on reflection, if you were talking to some young people, and we do have a lot of young listeners, I, I hear from them regularly about uh, topics they want to hear about and things to talk about. But if you were to give some advice to a young person just starting out in their career in risk management, what would it be in, in hindsight with with the experience that you've had on your journey? It, it will probably be twofold. Uh, one is um, if you want to deep dive into risk management, don't read risk management books. Whenever there is a word risk management in the title, with very, very, very few exceptions, um, because I mean I have a risk management in my, in the book in the title of my of my free book, um, which is actually very easy to find. It's you know, just Google free risk management book. It's uh, it's number one in Google, and um, with very, very few exceptions, risk management books are all around risk management one. So basically, they teach you how to do the wrong thing, and, and this is very 
illustrative because you know how chat GPT is now a big thing and I'm having a lot of fun with chat GPT every single day. So here's the sad realization. Chat GPT has been trained on risk management one, on, on basically ISO, COSO, and everything else that has no connection to the real risk management whatsoever. So if you ask ChatGPT any risk management question, it will give you a wrong answer. Like you can ask it about heat maps or risk appetite. It will give you the wrong answer. Just because this is the kind of, this is the world we live in. The risk management has been hijacked by this you know, pseudoscience, you know, horoscopes, and um it's not something that you will want to focus on. And some of the you know, most famous risk management books are really, really bad, um, which I uh, had numerous conversations with their authors about, um, but they, uh, they, they still continue down the path. And you know, all of risk management surveys are, are really, really, really bad because they're asking the wrong questions. Um, so my advice is don't, don't read risk management. You know, read around decision-making and decision science and uh, probability theory, because th these books, and I actually have, I actually have an article, you know, 16 best risk management books, and I think only one of them has the word risk management in the title. Um, and th there are books in risk perception, so the psychology part. That there are books in probability theory, the mathematical part, and there are books in decision science, the kind of they bring it all together. And um, the these are the kind of the goalposts that you should be aiming for, um, not not the risk management stuff, because the risk management uh, st stuff is just, it's already been proven to not work. So, you know, why, why, why bother? And um, that's the kind of, that's the first advice. And um, to find the um, my recommended risk management books, it's, it's also easy. Just Google best risk management books. And Risk Academy's article, I think, is it's number one or number two in Google. Uh, but my number two advice is you can't really get far without math mm. In, mm. in risk. Like there's, uh, I mean, we can dance around it as as much as we as as we want, but there's literally no way you can have a decent career in risk without understanding math. I yep. I have no idea why internal auditors are calling themselves risk managers and they think accounting degree is somehow a, a sufficient level of education for, um, for risk management, but not just math, but specifically probability theory, because yeah. dealing yeah. with the math of uncertainty, it's like a whole new world um, yeah. compared to just normal accounting and finance and corporate finance. Um, so start, start at least investigating What's, yeah. <clears throat> what's behind the door of probability theory? And, you know, Sam Savage at Stanford has wonderful free videos and courses on that. Like there's more than enough um, material to educate ourselves uh, for free. Um, but that's th those are kind of, I think those are the, the two advices I would give. Yeah, no, that's great, Alex. I think that's that's good advice. And um, and unfortunately, there is a, a bit of a shortage of um, formalised risk management education around. I I did my masters in risk at um, at UNSW, and I think it's the only place in Australia that now still offers a course. So, yeah, there are there are some um, uh, some shortages in being able to do that. But as you say, those complementary skills. And, uh, you know, talents that you need are certainly out there and available. So that's great advice. Well, Alex, I did say to the listeners we would fill them in on some news. So you're actually coming to Australia. So if you're an Australian-based listener, 
you get the opportunity to go and see Alex. Now, he's going to start his journey in Australia in Perth, and he's there on the 16th of February, um, and he's there for a couple of days. And I think it's then uh, over to Melbourne, and that's in early March. Now, I, I won't have the dates off the top of my head, but if you have a look at the RMIA website, uh, you'll see all the details about uh, Alex uh, coming over to Australia, doing a bit of a tour around the place. And, um, you know, Alex is a lovely guy. So if you saw him on the street and wanted to shout him a coffee and wanted to pick his brains about uh, your career or your approach or whatever else, I'm sure he'd be more than happy to have a chat. So um, uh, great news for those of us uh, in Australia. And uh, keep an eye out for those dates and have a look at the RMIA website uh, and you'll find out more details. Alex, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking some time with us and um, for sharing your views on risk management. Um, uh, some will say controversial. That's not a problem. You've never shied away from that before and you haven't shied away today, so that's great. Um, thanks for your time. Thanks, Anthony, and I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode. Thank you, listeners. Excellent. So, folks, that's Alex Sidorenko, a, a great well-recognized name in the risk management space. Um, Alex has got some fantastic resources uh, at Risk Academy. Uh, you can find him on YouTube. You'll definitely see him on LinkedIn. Follow him there. As I said, I'll put all the contact details for Alex in the show notes uh, and for the course that he mentioned, the DCRO um, Advanced Risk Governance course. So, uh, listeners, hope you hopefully you found that episode uh, very interesting. Thank you again for tuning in. As always, let me know if there are things that you'd like to talk about on the on the podcast, people you'd like me to talk to. Uh, more than happy to chase those up for you. So, I'm Anthony Wilson. This has been the Mastering Risk Management podcast. We will talk again soon. Cheers. Mm-hmm.